Welcome to Second Class Cinema, the show where we would normally watch a B-movie and immediately discuss, but today we have a very special episode because uh, we interviewed Matthew Caritas, none other than the Samurai Cop. <laughs> we sure did. And I'm Tom. You don't even want to introduce us. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Might still be a little bit starstruck. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was. We just conducted an interview with uh, Matthew Caritas, Samurai Cop himself, of, uh, of Samurai Cop fame, and we we talked a lot about the uh, the original Samurai Cop. We talked about Samurai Cop Two: Deadly Vengeance. We just talked about basically his his, uh, his whole personal involvement with these movies. Yeah. 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 He was kind enough to listen to our podcast and then offered to come on and talk to us about the multitude of questions we had <laughs> about the production of Samurai Cop 2. Because Samurai Cop 1 is a very important movie to us. We we love it. We, this is, it, we admire it. And we watched uh, Samurai Cop 2 and it did not get favorable reviews on here, which is what made me slightly nervous about having this conversation with him. It was but very middle of the road. He, it was very, yeah, 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 we ended up, you know, we split the room when we did the, the ratings for that. So uh, to have him come on and want to talk to us and, and kind of, you know, answer our questions was absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. lots of fun. And very enlightening. I think there's uh, a, a ton of things in this episode that we never would have ever guessed went on in mm -hmm. Samurai Cop 2 behind the scenes. It was really just fascinating to hear him talk about everything that was going on. That There's no way we would have ever figured out these things happened. No. Yeah. It answered so many questions, yeah. and I, and I feel like he got he got uh, um, you know a little bit off his chest about this. I feel like um, most of the the items I've heard him talk about were pre this release, and I don't know how early on we are to talk about him post release here. But uh, I thought he he divulged uh, some good amount of information that I think would be useful to anyone who's a fan of Samurai Cop. Definitely. All right, so without further ado, we're gonna go <laughs> on and uh, and we'll we'll play the the Samurai Cop Matthew Caritas interview. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Who do we have today? Uh, I'm I'm Tom. Brittany. Tom's there. Eric. Oh. Brittany, I can't believe Brittany said my tan looked like a Doritos tan. <laughs> <laughs> I oh my God, I'm so sorry. No, you're absolutely correct. I don't know if it was Amir's lack of coloring for the film or if I really was that tan. <laughs> I'm willing to bet you were pretty tan and the quality of the DVD we watched was I, not stellar. I think I was like way over tan like an Oompa Loompa, so you were dead <laughs> off. That's why I love these reviews because they're like, they're thinking, they're saying the same thing I think. Oh, no, because I, I, I listened to all you guys. I didn't know if Tyler was going to be there. Brittany, I know Ashley. Was she on the first one? Uh, Ashley yes. was on the first one, um, but uh, way back, fifty episodes. That was <laughs> yeah, that was early for us. This is uh, this is a movie we've been watching for a while. And what about uh, who's the guy that came in late? Not Eric. There's another guy that did Samurai Cop Two that said I will never watch this goddamn. Movie <laughs> that was Tyler. That, that was Tyler. Yeah. That was Tyler. Unfortunately, he really did want to make it, but unfortunately, he could not. No, that's fine. Yeah, and I apologize for last week. I just got slammed with oh. work, and there's like no way I could have. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Yeah, let's. Uh, I guess let's just start with uh, how you know. So you're the Samurai Cop. And, and <laughs> <laughs> so how, yeah. how, how did that uh, how did that come to be for you originally? Absolutely. Yeah, I had originally um, met Amir because one of the bodyguards that worked with me with Stallone when I worked for him, Voyo Gorick, uh, had told me, you should go see this filmmaker named Amir Shirvan. He does low budget movies and maybe you could start, you know, getting some tape as an actor. So I went into his office and met him just clearly from that 
uh, reference, I mean, that referral. And then right when I walked in, he just sat behind his desk, little portly man. And he said, you are the star of my film. <laughs> and I was just like, man, this is awesome. Thanks, Boyle. You know, and, and because he said, oh, the guy pays really well because I think Boyle worked two days, got maybe 450 bucks a day. Oh. Turns out I was getting, what, 70 bucks a day plus a Big Mac or whatever. <laughs> I said, Amir, I don't eat that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I brought my, my own food to set. But um, so, yeah, that's basically what it was. And then he said, this is kind of a lethal weapon movie I'm doing here. And um, we start in like four days. Go ahead and read the script. Anything you think you want to change, I have no problem, which was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And yeah, we just started shooting. And then slowly it became <laughs> quite clear to everybody we were fucked. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I think it's funny when you guys – review or anybody and the things that you guys notice and bring up i hope that no one thinks for one second that we weren't all doing the same thing first <laughs> 25 years ago going is he really gonna say cut my gift or what <laughs> all that we, we constantly were just like oh my god i can't do this or how we i can't let somebody see me in the but anyway we finished out of respect to a mirror we just kept going even though we knew like three four days in like oh my god this is going to be horrible <laughs> and that's why i've said and i know you guys said a couple scenes like when i'm in the office doing that monologue um i hadn't cut my hair yet there so i wasn't that mode yet where i was just so pissed off i was doing this whole thing in a wig but oh, yeah what I was was Amir called us back because um, principal photography started June of 90 and then we finished and it was like maybe shoot three days and two weeks off and then Amir would get some more money, call us. And then around November, we uh, finished. He said, oh, we're done, and but I have a few pickup shots that we will do. So we did that and then he said, all right, I'll call you when the movie's done. And it wasn't until January 91 that he called me back in the office. I had cut my hair. And then he flipped out. And then we started filming all the other <laughs> bullshit through February. But in that office scene, when he called me in, he says, I need to shoot a reverse angle now of you in the in the restaurant. We didn't do it that day. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I've got the fucking grandma pictures behind me. <laughs> I'm literally in one of his uh, rooms. It was a house that he lived in that he made an office. And, and it's like a four by four room. And I'm talking to a lamp. And I'm just so fucking irritated. Like, I can't believe we didn't do this. A long time ago and you know so i just thought how is this continuity going to match everything like you guys talk about we were all thinking the same thing this isn't going to match why but it was his you know his disaster but anyway oh, it's so, always, yeah, i mean these these are the things that we went through it's always interesting to hear what goes on on set because we seriously ponder that severely with every oh, yeah, movie then, we watch but i can't you know what i mean I've, I've done interviews and you always want to just reach out and say no no it was because of this but after a certain point are we and I was worried about that when I came back to life and my daughter said, oh, just tell everybody what happened. I said, will I take away some of the, the magic or, you know, what's behind the curtain with the great and powerful Oz? If I <laughs> say, oh, it's because of this. Would it make the movie less funny or interesting? And it really didn't. It just enhanced, I guess, because people go, oh, my God, that's even wilder than we thought or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's really it's really awesome hearing hearing you talk about you know Samurai Cop and everything. We really do appreciate you uh, coming on here and doing this for us. Definitely. No, absolutely. I don't mind. Like I said, it's fun. I get it's fun for me to kind of let like like I said, so many fans out there had so many questions, and it's nice to answer because Mark can't remember anything. He's like, man, I don't remember <laughs> what we did, man. How do you remember? 
I go, because that nightmare just stayed with me. I never <laughs> thought this movie would get released, and here it is, this cult classic. How the hell that happened? Oh, man. Uh, very, very enjoyable movie. Um, so in, in between Samurai Cop 1 and 2 now, uh, so how did, how did you get tied up into getting involved with the, with the second? Um, again, that was um, uh, me from a distance when YouTube came to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, I started seeing clips. I just for a joy, my daughter would say, oh, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube or IMDb. And I would just for the hell of it, put in Samurai Cop or American Revenge because over the two movies that I had done mm. and just to see if anything popped up. And then there was always the blurbs, the comments and the horny nursing. And I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. And I'd read all the <laughs> comments and I just thought this is great. And then when I realized on IMDb that the guy named Matt Hannon uh, died and everybody thought that was me. Um, I just kind of thought, oh, that's cool. Everybody thinks I'm dead, so I don't even have to worry. Because, you know, I changed my name legally to Caritas, Matthew Caritas, in 94. Just, you know, for purposes of acting, I just thought, let me get more of an ethnic name, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But not knowing, you know, that Samurai Cop was floating around out there and slowly gaining this audience. So I wasn't trying to hide from it. <laughs> but, uh so, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those that it just slowly started to unravel. And my daughter says, you should um, go on and YouTube now. You can post five-minute videos. You should just do a series of, you know, comments and explain what went on. I think people would think that was interesting. And I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And then finally I put up the camera here in my house and I was doing a little <laughs> test video because I did that, like I said, with my daughter on my comedy routines. I used to do something and send it to her and go, hey, is this funny? Do you get this? So same same premise there. But, you know, I had my shirt off and it's just me <laughs> kicking around the house like I am now. And when I sent it to her, she just thought my dad will procrastinate again and never do this. So I'm just going to put it out there and let everybody know he's alive. And then that's when the whole world blew up with, oh, my God, it's the second coming of Christ. He's here. He's not dead. And I was just like, what the hell? I had no idea that that was that grand of a fan base out there. And that just really overwhelmed. And I was like, holy shit. And that's what made me sequel, <laughs> I think, once Greg Hatanaka got a hold of me. So Greg got a hold of you right after, you know, you, you had come out and said, I'm alive. And yeah, yeah, he, it was posted on, um, uh, you know, all the I guess all over. And then each little click of um, fans have their own, you know, fan base. And then it just spread, you know, like the telephone game. And it just really quick, like I said, I had my iPhone that I'm talking to you on now just started blowing up with emails, <laughs> three or four hundred inbound. And I'm like, what the fuck is it? It just drove me nuts. And I was like, I didn't realize it. But then he said, I've got to meet you. I've got to have lunch with you. You got to. So that's when I sat down with him and then he explained that he wanted to make a sequel or he was already thinking about making a sequel like a year earlier with um, Mark Frazier. Um, and like you guys had touched base, it was supposed to be Mark and Joe Marshall's daughter kind of go find out who killed Samurai Cop or something, you know, ridiculous like that. And Greg basically was a huge fan. He has his own distribution company, Cineridge Films and mm. Cinema Epoch. So he's just a fanatic about samurai cop like most everybody else out there but he just like i've said now he had the balls and the stupidity <laughs> to say i think i want to make a sequel and that's why uh, even though the movie is a fucking disaster i still really hold in high regard he at least tried but had no idea the tsunami of a disaster that was coming his way just based off of his enthusiasm of this is going to be great, you know, and, and I, I, I mean, I can, you know, get into more. I've never talked about it and I don't mind doing it now, but a little bit more whenever you guys are ready as far as uh, what really started the ball rolling and how this all went. But if you want to go first with Samurai Cop stuff, that's fine. And then we can pick up there, I guess, later. But 
Um, I do just want to know how totally bizarre it was for you to realize how big of a cult classic this movie became. <laughs> well, yeah, it was uh, it was shocking because I mean I work in the industry here in Southern California. I'm I'm a foreman uh, in a union. I'm kind of a liaison with union members, and I hired. Um, uh, union guys to work these trade shows and obviously comic-con is one of our shows that we do and i and i've done like WonderCon and blizzcon so i already kind of knew in the youtube conventions that there's these pockets of fans out there <laughs> that love certain things that aren't for the general public so i kind of knew about it but i never thought i would be part of that because i never really had anybody come up and say hey weren't you ever in this movie you know it really started right after i came and we were doing the sequel and it got such massive publicity everywhere but i just was shocked i just i can't believe and then to hear from people across the world in different countries i mean when i was just in spain there was a guy who goes dude uh, i live in uganda you have no idea you're a god <laughs> and i'm like what are you talking about he goes people came from miles in a village to sit on a dirt floor under a tent to watch the dvd blu-ray of samurai cop 2 they just think you're a legend and i said do they not have media or television? <laughs> and he says, no, really, they don't know if this is current day or if it's, you know what I mean? They're that far. It just blows me away. I don't know if you guys are knowing that that there's a YouTube thing called Who Killed Captain Alex? Yes, it's we have made, seen the trailers for that. Right. So this is the guy that lives there. And he he gave up. He left New York to go live with these guys to, to teach them how to make films. But that's who he was talking about. That group of guys he just said, you have no idea. You, they just love watching your action movie. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I didn't, awesome. Yeah, I didn't realize the magnitude. And it just every day, it's still, even as I just traveled Spain and UK, the reception I got there and, and the countries was just like overwhelming. So, yeah, it's still just kind of surreal. And even it's two years later almost when I came alive. And came <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the first time we watched this movie, we watched it pretty much three times in one night. <laughs> Samurai guy, we just we just kept it going. <laughs> we just didn't stop. Um, yeah. But if we want to get down to uh, brass tacks here with <laughs> the uh, Samurai Cop Two Deadly Vengeance uh, stuff, uh, a quick question would be: So, you know, what stage were they in with the script writing process when you came on board, and and how much did it change after? They originally Greg had met Mark flew out, and they had the screening a year before I you know, came back alive in whatever year that was, 2014, I guess, or whatever. And Greg, it was a sold out. It was a midnight showing, 800 seats, just sold out. And Greg's like, oh, my God, I just, I didn't ever realize this really has a huge fan base. You know, you're the only one still alive, Mark. We know we should do a sequel. And at that time, um, and this is what I've never discussed or nobody, but I think it's fair <laughs> that it gets out there. Mark had represented that he had a couple hundred thousand dollars from his retirement or investment, something going on that was coming in. And he would gladly put that up if Greg wanted to partner up with him and make a sequel. Wow. OK. So that already starts getting Greg going, oh, OK, that's a shitload of money. I could probably <laughs> another, you know, 50 or 100,000. And yeah, this could be cool. So they're slowly trying to develop the idea never really wrote a script yet so fast forward to june i come back alive greg flips out <laughs> i gotta meet you as soon as i come on board it's now fast track of this is what we're going to do i've got another 50 grand somebody's going to put up and then mark's got some money coming and you know maybe we'll do a kickstarter and raise a little extra and we'll use that for cgi Obviously, no, that wasn't. <laughs> um, so then it's like, oh, okay, this is cool. So he starts to write. And, and when I sat with him, I said, I would really love to do something 
Starsky and Hutch like where it's just kind of goof. You know, here we are just bumbling cops again. Make it funny. Have her. <laughs> he didn't think that he thought, no, 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 this is going to be more this and that. And, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, all right, I guess let me see what you can come up with writing the script. So, you know, he writes a couple drafts and now we're in what, July, August. Uh, the Kickstarter, he gets going. That obviously brings in more money than the 50. It brings us 64. So oh. now he's thinking, oh, we got a good chunk of money. We're just waiting now for Mark, his investment. Mark kept saying, oh, it's the next month. Oh, it's next month. <laughs> so then I start to question, wait a minute, what the fuck? So I sit down with Mark. I start to talk with him. <laughs> and my impression is he's involved in some hokey, dreamlike Ponzi thing. And I'm like, holy fuck. Are you serious? <laughs> he's pissed even still to this day, two years later. He still thinks his money's coming. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I go and talk to Greg. I go, listen, I don't know what you're waiting for and trying to f figure out a start date, but I, I'm telling you, Mark ain't got shit. So, and Greg's like, holy fuck, now what am I going to do? So, big budget just dropped even lower. We've got the Kickstarter money, and that, you know, you have to give a little chunk back to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Greg starts writing the script. He has a draft, and now it's like, okay, let me start looking for places that we can film. And so, he started finding stages that we could shoot on. And, and he's got this elaborate story. I'm reading the draft and I'm thinking, okay, this should be good. So comes time. It's December. Greg still really doesn't have enough in his pocket that what's on the page. I didn't know this. I'm just thinking, all right, you, I guess you know what you're doing. I'm just coming. I'm happy to do a sequel and try to do better acting. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, so and then all of a sudden it's just from day three, it just all went to shit. He's like, oh, we can't afford to do this part here. We have to cut this out and this out. So what do you want to do? Well, I was thinking maybe we'll change Caden's character. Now she does this. She does that. Uh, day five. I don't know if Tommy's going to show up. I know he said he was, but I don't know. <laughs> well, we wrote this big part. Well, let's change this to make this and blah, blah, blah. So this is what starts unfolding. And that's why I said it's like the, un the unintentional copy of what Amir, Amir did. And I'm thinking, how the fuck did I step in the <laughs> But I say that in a loving manner, but I really want people to know in the context of what the final product was, I, I give nothing. I mean, Greg Hatanaka got caught up in a tsunami of excitement, anticipation, and the wave just starts coming in. And then slowly he began to drown without having money. So it's like you can't quit. We've got a crowdfunding people that have put in money. The world is waiting. So poor Greg has now gone from this – Sweet, humble filmmaker, you know, like independent distributor and loving to. He made a couple little small movies like, holy shit. Mm. He starts, you know, getting money from here and there, just piecing this thing together. And, you know, we shot probably five different scripts. So visually, you guys see a lot of cool things, but none of them go together. Yeah. <laughs> Did so, feel a little disjointed there. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're sitting in rough cuts. I see the first one. I'm like, holy fuck, what is this? What are we going to do? This is. And Greg's like, I don't, I don't know. I would, you know, so that's why I said we really tried to take whatever shit we had and piece it together. And I think in the end, this is really a story towards anybody wanting to make a movie. You, you know, this is really the, what could happen. You got to plan shit out. You have to stick to scripts. Like you guys said, why the fuck wouldn't you just go in the woods with the camera and shoot a scene? Because you guys were right. He actually had one day in front of a green screen. And what he realized was, oh, my God, this chick paid X amount of dollars to be in the movie with you. Let me just have you go in front of the green screen and you fight with her and I'll figure out something to put in the back. So oh, that's man. what you saw. And the guy that he hired with four dollars and 62 cents left in his pocket. Uh -huh. I know how to do green screen or I got the perfect plate. It's like, holy shit, really? This is 
so Greg and I just started doing like you guys, like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? Uh -huh. He's like, well, it is Samurai Cop, I guess, you know, whatever. So you really start to compromise your artistic integrity, and that's basically <laughs> how it all, even down to the guy that did CGI. I mean, he was the guy we could afford. He was dropping acid 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I saw the blood pouring out, I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's well, amazing. It's kind of funny, isn't it? I go, no, but if we're already this far off the cliff, I guess, what the hell? But, so you know what I mean? And I think when we get the documentary out of the making of the movie, hopefully, and I haven't seen any of the 300 hours of footage, wow. hopefully that could be the story of this is why this became our own disaster. I hate being the Greg Sesteros to Tommy Wiseau's room with Greg. I'd love for him to talk, but he's so shy and he'll never divulge all this. And I go, you can't let people think this is what your vision was. You've got to speak up. So anyway, I mean, that's kind of how it all unraveled. And it's just really lack of funding and and uh, and just trying to claw your way to a release date and to get this finished. And I know we've had some response where people go, I love it. It's a fucking horrible piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But we really were trying to come up, and Greg was especially, a, a good sequel and, and do a little bit of winks to the old one, but not, you know, like you guys said, either commit or don't commit. And it's like we just accidentally had to take a scene for whatever. All right, this falls in the category of we're going to try to commit. This one's not, you know, but – you know, you guys have been on point with everything you said. But I just, I just feel so protective of Greg. I'm like, you got to tell him what the circumstances were, and he's like, nah, it doesn't matter. No, it's you awesome know, it's, that you guys can be so candid about it because I think people well, because really that's, do that's want to know. That's what I think. The joy is the fun is. You know, if everybody thinks they can make a movie, but I mean, this was really kind of bigger than he really realized, and yeah. and you get stuck in it, and you can't just quit. I mean, most people would say we ran out of money, we couldn't finish, but. So that's, you know, that's why I said, well, it's better than nothing. And it's, it's okay. Even with the music, I, I couldn't imagine, you can't imagine how much music is. It's so expensive. Oh, this yeah. song's great. Well, that's six grand. It's like, what? <laughs> how are we going to, you know, and then you end up with whatever we ended up with. So I commend him for finishing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually very curious to rewatch this with all this in mind. And with well, this in context. Yeah, but that's not, I know. <laughs> I mean, that's what I said. Maybe you take a different spin on it but i mean I, that's why i really think the making of might help or if people think that's fun because i love watching what goes on behind the scenes and in movies even in my real life so mm -hmm. i just thought i mean to hear you know we don't know if tommy's going to show up and then just to see the footage <laughs> of tommy behind the scenes where he just couldn't remember his lines at all and greg literally starts throwing <laughs> lines to him because i said look here's what we're going to do we're going to waste the whole day here and get kicked off the set you say the line Take a beat, and Tommy, you repeat it. And I said, later in editing, Greg, you're just going to have to take your voice out. And that's the only way we're going to get through this fucking day. So oh, man. some of the lines that Tommy says were what Greg said. Some of them were, we had no idea what Tommy said. <laughs> but a lot of the lines that, that if you guys really listen, I guess Greg, being the film aficionado, was throwing out Cassavetti lines from famous movies, uh, Love is Blind. I mean, all that shit that Tommy's saying. Um, you know what I mean? So that's what makes it funny. But like I said, that's completely a separate issue than watching the movie for a movie. So I'm giving you all these things that now make it interesting, but I don't know if that's still entertaining for everybody. Well, yeah, it can be. And, and I, um, when you, when you had messaged me about, about the movie, you described Greg as having, you know, tenacity about it. And I can always respect someone who can, who can take a movie all the way to the end and, uh, get something into my Blu-ray player. Which is, yeah, which but, is great. <laughs> but it's nice to know how. But yeah, that's what I said. I really think, I mean, really, seriously, the financial, I mean, the guy never, I don't know if you guys can picture yourselves getting involved in a project and then you're just so passionate 
you're going to do whatever you got to do to finish, but you never realize, holy shit, if I would have known that, I never would have started. <laughs> That's yeah. why you said. So I, I love him for that. And again, even for me at 50 years old, having a chance to do a, a sequel to a movie, I, I, just like I was thankful for a mirror, even though that became what it became, it's still a blessing. There's guys that come to this town and never get a speaking part ever. And I could say, you know, I did two movies and, and one of them, it didn't get lost on the shelf at Blockbuster. It became a cult. So, you know, it is kind of a gift. And I've, I've learned to be humble instead of that first recording where I said, what a fucking retarded movie. <laughs> uh, because I didn't realize. And now I have a little bit more appreciation for this genre, for you guys, people that love the grindhouse. and Because it's a fun click. I've never met more fun fans. And you know what I mean? So it is it is awesome to be involved in now. Yeah, this stuff's a this stuff's a blast. Um, <laughs> but do, do you, so, do you think like the the major uh, crippling factor of the movie was just the constantly shrinking scope? Like, uh, did, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of you know integral stuff to the original idea got cut like really fast. And do you think, obviously, even with the budget, that this movie would have gotten to where he wanted it to? Like, um, I, I really think the biggest problem was the money. Uh, the second part was. Caden's character, well, first of all, Janice Farley, uh, we found her, and she wanted nothing to do with She's the one that plays Jennifer in the first movie, the one I meet uh, at yeah. church, and I do that long, disgusting love scene with her. <laughs> she was beautiful. I don't mean her. But she was obviously married now, and she has children, and she just said, I don't even want – and I said, you know, you were really a good actress. It has nothing to do with – but I think the nudity, perhaps, you know what I mean? I don't know. She's maybe yeah. a different woman now and has friends and doesn't want anybody to know. <laughs> so she has legally changed her name, not because of the movie, but so she could remain anonymous out there. But she just said, Matt, I can't. I can't come back. So we, you know, um, I, I Greg had the idea. I think he took it from Rear Window, the, the uh, Jimmy Stewart, where he thinks he sees his dead wife, something. I mean, again, I don't know these references that he... <laughs> Use, but it was supposed to be Jennifer in the wig. And then originally she was a police detective from New York. That storyline got thrown out. So eventually her character really became nothing. And it was just like, even Caden was like, what am I doing here? And I really think <laughs> Caden, I know she's in the adult industry. I really think she's a talented actress. Um, and a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? But she, re I mean, she was frustrated because she didn't get to do anything in this movie, but um, she really has a little magic on the screen. And again, I didn't know any of these girls, Lexi Bell. I didn't know Caden was in the industry. Apparently Greg brought all these people in cause he thought, Oh, it'll help add to funding and we'll bring a different fan base from this group, that group. I personally wouldn't have wanted all that. I really wanted it to be a buddy cop, uh, <laughs> action kind of really what the heart of the first one was, was just Mark and I, because our mm -hmm. chemistry just instantly clicked again after not seeing each other for 25 years. Um, but I think that was the major factor was was the money and then the problems that just, you know, came up after that. There was a lot of the reshoots, the scene in the cave where Mark and I have that scene where I say um, that wasn't there. It, it cut from he comes to my hideout. I fight the ninjas. He shoots them all in the corner. <laughs> and then we were on the plane and I go, Greg, this is bullshit. We have to have Mark fly back out. I need to. And I wrote the scene. I said, Joe, Mr. Thespian here, Joe needs motivation to come out of this reclusive lifestyle to come back. So as you guys love the Deadly Vengeance reference, I thought, oh, let oh, me yeah. write this in. You can rain down your <laughs> But I really wrote that scene so that Mark and I could we could give the audience a bonding moment. It's typical cliche bullshit. But I mean, these are the things that I started to piece help Greg piece back and said, you know, we have to make the story somehow. We have to explain why is he seeing jennifer and we you know he came up with the oh she he's getting poisoned slowly or 
You know what I mean? So it yeah. just becomes uh, a bandage of a movie, and we started throwing things together, which you guys were like, I don't get, is he a flashback on the TV? <laughs> Or that was supposed to be anytime I'm I'm uh, watching the TV that's the hallucinogenic and I'm seeing myself on TV but not knowing it's in myself I guess okay. you know I don't know okay. all about. right makes a but little anyway, more sense now but anyway it just becomes like I said this <laughs> drug trip for everybody and that's why some people go it was just crazy I just love watching it so it, at one respect it worked but on another if you're trying to make a good movie it completely failed so yeah. I, I, that was definitely a standout scene for us. Uh, um, and so you were uh, also credited as a producer on this. And so beyond doing, you know, writing that scene and, and interjecting in that way, what else uh, kind of did you contribute to the movie? And uh, at, well, like what points? I think um, the main thing was when I met with Greg, my daughter had just graduated film school. And I said, look, I'll come on board, but I really want her to be on as a producer also. And she's actually she plays the scene in that bar where she says, "Are you my daddy?" That's really my daddy. Oh, that's awesome. And what happened that day? The girl that was supposed to show up is an older lady. It was a completely different scene. We rewrote all that, and then we just said, "Okay, you come in." I go, "This will be funny, Peggy. You pretend like you know we'll make a reference like maybe you and I had a kid. I didn't know, but you know the looks and all that crap. Sometimes we went like you said over the top." Um, the, the black gift stuff that was Mark just <laughs> I, we got to do a joke about the black gift I'm like no this is too obvious <laughs> <laughs> and he really cut the scene down because I think Mark orders a vodka and then that Joselito comes back and he says oh uh, the sponsor of your um, vodka is giving so we, here's a gift but I think Greg edited it down and all of a sudden he just hands him a box and says here's a gift for you and I'm like this doesn't fucking make sense <laughs> so, you know there's just weird stuff that goes on but that's just the piecing of a and we I thought the same thing how the fuck am I on a plane that blows up what do you <laughs> I go could we at least do this how about we do a voiceover and the pilot says oh, ladies and gentlemen we're going to be on the tarmac for about another 20 minutes please stand by we're going to send some refreshments something like, it's over, it's bullshit, it's telling a story, but at least it's not really on a plane where a fucking massive explosion. And I said, and where is everybody going out the back of the plane? It's still in the air. And he's just laughing like, I guess, I don't know. You know hot, up, hot up in the, oh my God, my movie's just fucking falling apart and he doesn't care. So these are just, like I said, funny things. We shot on that plane set because it was there, and he goes, hey, we should do a scene on an airplane. <laughs> so this is how things just come up. They weren't written, they weren't in the script, and it, it, it's just, you know, he just thought, well, this is a cool set, let's use it while we can, it's free. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's what I think people should, <laughs> I guess, know. And I hope he has the original draft. I said, you should release that sometime to let people see what we really wanted to do. That beginning opening scene, and the intergalactic treaty that you guys made reference to, we really were supposed to be in space. It was a space movie. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing in space? He goes, well, we got this cool set. And it's uh, it's a space set, but it's really cheap. And we're going to film. I go, yeah, but what are we in fucking space? I go, Greg, seriously, what's going on? And I just was flipping out. And I kept arguing with him through the whole shoot. Please just let me have one shot where we walk outside. And I say something like, I can't believe who would have a hideout in an old abandoned movie set of a space. <laughs> something. I go, you can't let people think we're in space and teleporting. I go, it just, just doesn't make sense. So that was the third script idea that just fell short. So we did have the footage shot, and then we ended up trying to turn it into, quote, the complex. I go, let's make it this top secret because otherwise it looks weird. You know, why is it? But it's not top secret because, you know, Mark travels, what, 400 miles in the desert 
defined it. Yeah. But if you guys see at the very end of the movie, when we walk out, we're in a fucking alley in Pacoima, California. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason we had to shoot that was just like a mirror. We don't have anywhere. We can't go back to the location. We don't have the stage anymore. So let's just end the. I go, how the fuck are we going to end the movie in a fucking alley in a suburban neighborhood? You said we traveled 400 miles <laughs> to this top secret. So we're all, I mean, we're all in it with you guys. And we're just like, I don't know. We just got to finish the movie. We need to get a cliche 90s. We can shoot it on 35 mil. And, but, you know, I mean, so hopefully all that's in the documentary. I just don't know. But there were constant arguments or bewilderment on my behalf. And Mark's going like, I can't believe we're doing this. What happened? We're doing the same thing. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> during the post-production process, during the editing, um, were you like, you know, were you watching like rough cuts as you guys were going and then like trying to figure out what you could add or, or something like that? <laughs> Yeah, it was all Greg. Like I said, there was no, I know you guys made reference like, what's with the shitty music? What, didn't the music uh, coordinator, I'm like, music coordinator? There was no <laughs> <laughs> It's Greg Hatsunaka wore about 12 hats on this. When we finished filming, it was all Greg editing on his computer, um, doing, you know, dubbing, voiceover, whatever. I mean, Greg was in charge of marketing. Greg was in charge of getting more money, He, you know, advertising, posters, flyer. So the poor guy, like I said, just became consumed with it. But when I first saw the first rough cut, there was about eight of us that came and watched it. And we gave notes. And then it was up to Greg to go back in. And I'd say, don't we remember? I thought we filmed this. What if we try to do that, get rid of this, do that? And that's what really went on from maybe January through, God, almost up to the premiere. I think we had... And, and we just didn't have money. He didn't have any money left to film anything. And it's like, but we have to. We have to fly Mark out. I don't I don't have any money for a plane. And Mark lives here in Florida. And I'm like, I'll pay. Let's just get him out here. It's just important. We got to try. But all that green screen with the, the guy, you know, walking and it's supposed to be Tokyo. We did laugh. We just went, oh, my God, this is fucking ridiculous. He looks like Godzilla. <laughs> walking amongst Japanese. I go, he goes, I know, but the guy told me it wouldn't look like this. What am I? You know, so he already so he'd spent the money and it's just like, fuck it. We got to use it. And I'm just thinking, oh, my God. So post-production was just Greg really on his own trying to you know he always felt like i feel so bad matt i let you guys i'm like no i don't this is it is what it is greg this is fine i'm, I'm glad that we're doing this i think they'll enjoy it i mean i'm being too hard because i'm a perfectionist even in my own life and i'm like i would never have gotten involved in this had i know it was going to be this but i said in the vein of a mirror i think he's looking down on you going it ain't gonna be that easy pal <laughs> <laughs> the same shit that i went through but um oh, so yeah a lot of that post was greg and then uh after we got what we thought was a lock print, then we just started intermixing music. And he was using music that was awesome. But like I said, he's going, oh, I tried to contact the guy who wants 15 grand. And I'm like, oh, like shit. Ugh. But some of that orchestration music, the Blu-ray music is different than the theatrical because we got away with, oh, let's keep doing it until someone gets ready to sue us. And then we said, all right, well, we have to put on the Blu-ray something that we can afford. And, and some of these titles and music were obscure Polish and they're like, oh, I want two grand. And it's like, come on, dude. No one even knows who you are. And so, yeah, it was just a, it was just piecing it together uh, day after day. Poor Greg sitting there just trying to get the thing together until he finally got it, you know, the release date. But, yeah, a lot of that was just all done with Greg. Wow. That's I'm a... like driving the bus right over him. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I don't mean to. But like I said, he'll never come forward. He's so shy. But I go, I think people really got to know Greg and – but yeah, you know what I mean? I just think in the context, he's still a great guy. I really appreciate, like I said, he's the only guy that said, everyone talked about, oh, there should be a sequel, but he really went forward and did it and just 
this is what it came up with. And there has been, like I said, great response. So I don't want to keep making it that negative, but I'm having yeah. fun poking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely can't wait to watch that documentary. That's going to be super interesting. Well, yeah, I hope. I haven't even seen it. He wants to meet with me this week and maybe the guy that's been editing it. Because I said, you and I can't be involved, Greg, because you're going to want to, oh, don't show that. Or And I think those are maybe <laughs> things that people should see, the arguments about money or certain cast members, in quotes, being so fucking difficult. And, you know, it was a non-union <laughs> film, so you can't call their agent and go, look, get your client straight or you're going to fucking get fined and blah, blah. So we didn't have that luxury. And, and most of everybody that was involved filming did it for free through the passion. These guys that are grips that usually work for 800 bucks a day just said, oh, my God, oh, I totally know this movie. I want to just work on it for free. I don't care. Just don't put my name on it. But I'll, I'll work on it. So you know what I mean? We had a lot of that going on. But there's just a lot of stuff that went on. So it was just like a labor of love. Everyone just it was, got yeah. it done. We're all, yeah. But eventually, you know, you do have to pay for certain things, camera and, and uh, locations. I mean, so and, and it just adds up so quickly. Tommy's wardrobe. Tommy, I want the costume or I'm not showing up. <laughs> oh, my God. I have like to you ask. Said, the fucking Hamburglar outfit. <laughs> what a God. I just I use that in London. I go, someone oh. said he was like a retarded drunk Hamburglar. <laughs> it is so funny because I never even I mean, I go, that's fucking brilliant. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like this simultaneously. This is the weirdest and best thing. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, but you know what I mean? So there we're doing that. And then and it was still Tommy's Tommy. Tommy. And again, I don't want to hammer him. I never knew who he was. Greg's the one that brought him. He just said, this would be great if you guys could work together. Colossal to these icons like in heat, you know, Pacino and De Niro filing on screen. <laughs> what uh, was he it? really had a lot of demands and he was very, you know, um, Tommy ish. And uh, so, but yeah, so, you know, again, he was worth every penny. Like you said, I think they knew what they were doing. Just let the camera roll and the rest is gold. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty much just all Tommy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about the breaking up of the room. I don't know if he did that in his movie. Did he trash a room in the Because I still haven't seen the room. Yes, he did. Know. Yeah, he's very <laughs> so good at trashing rooms. I don't know if Greg rooms. thought, oh, this will be funny. Let him do it again. But the girl sitting in the chair that's supposed to be dead, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Was from another famous movie that Greg told me about. That it was. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't get it. Why the fuck is she? And I go, didn't she? I don't understand. it. Was she alive? And, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Even I was doing the same thing like you guys. And, and he goes, oh, no, it's funny. It's from this movie, blah, blah, blah. He talks a little bit about on the Blu-ray, I guess, and the commentary. I don't know if you guys have seen the Blu-ray, but. Uh, yeah, we did. Greg, we, we did watch the Blu-ray. We have yet to watch the commentary, though. That was OK. Yeah, I think Greg kind of touches it more about what he was thinking. But but yeah, Tommy was let go on there. And then the sword battle with him and I, of course, the outtakes <laughs> are me laughing because I am circling him, just cracking up going, I can't believe <laughs> Oh, and we we were just watching it earlier, and we were laughing at how dead faced you were the entire time, trying to face him down. <laughs> like, and he's yeah, rambling on. I mean, the cameraman's going in circles, and I'm like, really? I'm getting fucking. What are you doing? This is dizzy. And Tommy's just yelling, "I will not stop myself, but I will, but I won't." Some podcast guy the other day literally wrote down everything that Tommy's. I mean, if you write it out, it's hilarious. I and mean, Greg's like, "Wow, you got almost all of it right." <laughs> but listen, Tommy is. Is Tommy did exactly like you said what we hired him to do. He was absolutely entertaining. That's what Tommy is. Mm. Now, whatever Tommy thinks he is, and you know that <laughs> fantasy. You know, I mean, listen, the guy's got a movie over at Warner Brothers being made about him. Uh, my friends are over oh, there gripping true. on that, the making of the room and Tommy Wiseau's story. So you got to give him credit for as many years. And I know the movie was horrible. And yes, like you said, he still <laughs> to this day acts like he did it on purpose. No, you didn't. You made a <laughs> fucked up movie. 
<laughs> and when I was over in Spain, the the, the guy that did the documentary, um, um, I think it's Room Full of Spoons is what it's called. Um, <laughs> he screened it there for the first time, and I got so much. You know, it tells where Tommy was from, gives you a little bit more background about where he got the money from. Uh, he doesn't dig up the body, but he leads you down to the crime scene. You guys can figure the rest out by criminal records and, you know, L.A. and civil records. And you really find out kind of a little bit more about Tommy that he never wanted people to know because it's not flattering. Ooh. But it's also like, come on, dude, at some point, enough with the bullshit and, and just let people, you know, we're in on it. And a lot of people protect, you know what I mean? I, I He doesn't get it. And I still <laughs> to this day, it's like, come on, man, you know. Just, uh, I don't know. He treats his fans a little different than I would if I was him. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, that's Tommy and that's his thing. And, and so, like I said, he was worth every penny. And from the first meeting when I met him and he said, I'd love to do the sequel, but you can't kill me and I must kill you and do a sequel of my own. We're like, sure, whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's seriously, but he wasn't kidding. And that's just who he is. And you just kind of go on with it. And that's why he doesn't die. If you look at the movie, when I cut him wide open he, you know, it's a beautiful, funny scene after that with his blood that just gushed out of him. And then he's still alive at the end. He just didn't want to die. So we accommodated that. <laughs> we took away his stutter that you guys saw for many months on the trailer. And then he said, if you don't remove the stutter, I will not promote this movie and I will ban it from everything. You know, that's where he starts being the bully. Oh, wow. uh, so in the final cut, we don't have him stuttering when he said, love is a continuous stream, which is a Cassavetti's line, I guess, yeah. also. But, oh, my God. But he's a great guy. Like I said, I just don't appreciate the unprofessionalism and the way he treated Greg, but that's who Tommy is, and I guess he can get away with it. But um, I, he just has a lot of bullying tactics. He did that even with the Prince Charles in, in theater. If you show that movie, I'll never let you see my movie again. He does that, and hmm. people bow down to him. And what they need to know is you stand up to them and say, fuck it, we're showing it anyway. <laughs> Tommy will not pull a movie. He's a lot of hot air and threatens legal this, that. But the guy's made a fortune off this movie, and he's not going to stop that gravy train. So, <laughs> you know. But great guy. Like I said, I don't know him. <laughs> um, but I'm just giving you my opinion of him where it's just like, come on. I'm not surprised by any of this for some reason. <laughs> no, I know. But, like, I mean, here's what I, I hand him credit beyond belief. To make a movie, I don't care what it was, and it was a piece of shit. It's still a movie that everyone talks about, so you're better to be known for something than nothing. And it's like, just embrace it and stop acting like you're James Dean and you're, you know what I mean. But it's, <laughs> you guys got me on a bad night. I'm venting. Uh, oh, no. no. This is exactly uh, what we're hoping for. No, that's all right. You can air it. I don't care. Like, at this point, like, whatever. Oh, we're, we're on to Samurai Cop 3. I don't care. Oh, okay. Be good. Okay. So last question. We can just check that off now. That's going to happen. That's great. <laughs> Uh, so, so working with uh, some of the other talent on set, uh, I know there were some other, um, you know, people who who paid to get on set. There were some stars that were brought on board. Now, now what was that experience like working with all these different kind of studs? <laughs> yeah, those Particular guys were awesome. Word like choice. I said, I didn't know Mel Novak, and I, you know, Greg, of course, knew he was an iconic, you know, figure. I think um, uh, Estevez was awesome. Oh, yeah. uh, playing the police chief um, in this movie, uh, great energy. He brought it. He had no idea what was going. You know, you know, <laughs> you know. They just go, "What's this movie? It's a sequel." But he really played the part and did well. 
Um, all the other people, yeah, Greg basically cast. I know you guys had one problem with the Chinese guy that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and the story to save Shane a little face on that. Greg uh, originally Shane said, "I'm going to learn Japanese for this part. I'm going to speak it." So we get there, and the dialogue was so in depth. He's like, "Oh fuck, I can't remember." That. <laughs> so Greg said, "Okay, just 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 babble whatever, and I'll loop it later and put over some Japanese over you." Oh well, Greg thought it was hilarious to just leave it and not let it. So <laughs> he never thought in a million years that that would even be used. He's like, oh, my God, are you fucking kidding me? And Greg goes, no, it's funny. And it's like, oh, so that was never planned. It was supposed to be Japanese, real Japanese dubbed over. <laughs> that uh, is pretty funny. You know what I mean? So, But, I mean, all these guys coming in, like I said, Caden Cross, Nicole Bailey, Bai Ling was amazing. She was um, a real professional. I mean, you know, I knew Bai Ling from the reality show where she was on the rehab. Thing. I, I, yeah. I know she'd done other movies and I didn't mean to disrespect. I just go, oh, yeah, I guess she'd be great. And Greg thought, oh, she'll bring in some fans because she's known and she's a reputable actress. But, you know, from day one and fight training and rehearsals, she just was kind of like, oh, I think you and I should have a love scene. And I'm like, <laughs> well, we can. You're like my adversary. And well, no, no, no. I think really we should. So Greg's looking at me and I'm like, okay, how about maybe we do like a dream sequence and maybe, you know, you fantasize about something, you know, because I was to appease and I'm not trying to expose and make her, you know what I mean? And she just thought, oh, I want to have a love scene with you. And I'm like, that's very flattering, but it doesn't make sense in the story. But then, of course, that was not like the first movie didn't make sense when I had a love scene with too. So, hey, why not keep with the – so Greg really shot that kind of beautifully for her and it was lit well and, you know, it was tasteful and whatever. So, you know – Things like that, but she was she was a very um, oh I don't know how to say that it's not a union <laughs> movie, but she had certain expectations that she expected, and I don't think she realized hey this is kind of a low budget we don't have the hair and makeup and the wardrobe handy standing standing by you know what I mean so yeah but she was great at what she did I thought she played a good part there um, like I said Lexi Bell did her little thing so everybody I think Greg purposely tried to do like a mirror bring in a, a just a different variance of, of characters I know you guys thought the same thing I did like in the first movie where's all the Japanese samurais? <laughs> they're all white they're black guys from South Central <laughs> so Greg thought I think he continued this one by having white guys with Japanese names I don't know if that's a little thing he threw in there for like tip of the hat to Amir also. Mm -hmm. But I agreed, you know, but that's where we had to decide, are we really going to make a good movie and make it that, or are we going to kind of stay in this universe of samurai cop craziness? And so I think he had so much leeway everywhere and our fan base is so, um, you know, faction, just like the katanas and the ginsas. <laughs> you know, everybody loves samurai cop for a different reason. And we knew there's no way in hell we're going to please everybody with what we come up with. But Greg, I think in the end, tried to do that with all the pieces he was throwing together. But, uh, you know, originally, if you read that first script, it's really a cool opening and it's it's a well-written script. And I thought, this is cool. I think they'll like this. This isn't what they're expecting. When we went to outer space, that was totally what I said <laughs> no one's expecting. And I can't believe we're even trying that. Well, I mean, but, that's kind of in so, the vein of a lot of B-movies, uh, like Moonraker or like the Leprechaun movies or whatever. You know, they always <laughs> went to space at some point. <laughs> Did they? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Like I said, that was on him. And I, once again, I was just hired as an actor. I know, like you asked, were you a producer? But yeah, that's basically there. And there was some... <laughs> I just wanted to do that because if I can be in two films that are distributed here in the United States, you get to be in the Producers Guild. And I said, oh, OK, I'll put on the – but besides my daughter's name to be on it. But again, that was just his way of, of um, bringing in all these talent. He just thought, let me just have a whole ensemble 
thing. It'll make it more fun. And, you know, some of the people couldn't come. Lazenby, I guess, couldn't come. He was ill. Mm -hmm. Robert passed away on the third attempt to get him out. He almost made it twice, but he got snowed in in Chicago. And that was another huge part of the movie that just got chunked away. You know, the two guys that sit in the office and they go, they fight, and then he stands up and strangles him, and he's screaming and yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though they were Robert Zadar's sons in the original story mm-hmm. and there was a whole nother katana thing going on, but that all got thrown to shit and then Greg just gave him a little part and you know what I mean? So it just, it just started to really fall apart slowly, but the clock kept ticking and the, uh, finish line just kept getting closer and closer. So that's just, you know, he just kept moving forward and we just threw shit together. Yeah. Uh, well to, to kind of, you know, circle back around, uh, to the original samurai cop. Now what, beyond what we kind of uh, discussed a little bit already now, what other kind of parallels were between these two movies as far as like, you know, production? Um, the one thing that I found interesting because Greg, when he found, I don't know if you guys know the story, how he found samurai cop, he was shooting a completely different movie. It was in between takes. He, his lead actress went upstairs in this garage above a (laughs) abandoned warehouse. And, and there on the ground were all these, canisters of old movies and she thought it was cool come up here greg take a look at this because he thought he'd think it was interesting and that's where he saw seven canisters that said samurai cop and he went what the fuck this is the original <laughs> 35 millimeter print and then he uncovered all the rest of amir Chavon's movies killing american style uh american uh or hollywood, hollywood cop, cop and some other ones <laughs> so greg um restored all those he just recently sent me uh one of them and i'm watching it and what i'm finding interesting is that Everything that's in the original Samurai Cop, as far as the racism, the sexism, <laughs> is in every single one of Amir's movies. So yeah. the dialogue, the shoot, shoot him, the, hey, you, come here, hey, oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no, now this is kind of taking, uh, you know, what, even though people saw Samurai Cop, it's like Amir had already been doing that for four other movies before, that same style. Mm-hmm. But it got highlighted. So now I'm wondering, wow, if people watch this, are they going to go, oh, my God, the same locations, the same restaurant? Everything, Amir went back to the same place, and I didn't realize that filming Samurai Cop because I'd never <laughs> seen his previous movies. But I think the main thread with this one that Amir had was, again, lack of money because Amir basically fed the crew fast food. You know, it was Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, mm-hmm. and he spent the rest of his money on film, um, the 35 millimeter back then. He didn't really pay any of the talent. He just said, no, 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 you're going to see this is you're going to get good footage, and this is how you will get a better career as an actor. You know, so he didn't spend a lot of money on that. And of course, everything was shot during the day. Um, He didn't have all that. But I think the main parallel is lack of funding. Um, And unfortunately, uh, you know, you really have to have a good script. Amir didn't have one and he wouldn't let us change anything, obviously, (laughs) dialogue wise, even if I said no. And he actually says son of a bitches in two of his other movies. So that's clearly Amir's. When I said, now I'm telling you son of a bitches. I said, oh. Amir, we don't – If in America, we would say, I'm telling you sons of bitches. He says, no, that doesn't sound good. Say son of a bitches. And I'd say, I, I know, but I'm telling you it doesn't – just say – okay. <laughs> so it was funny for me to see someone else in another movie say, hey, you son of a bitches. You know, <laughs> same repeated dialogue. and so. Uh, but yeah, I'd say lack of money is probably the biggest parallel. And Greg and Amir's both passion to make movies no matter how – <laughs> terrible they may turn out just to be a movie a filmmaker i guarantee you if greg had uh the right amount of money in the bank he would make a really good movie you can see greg's style of filming i know you said 
this movie looks like it had more anime, you know, um, infusion, or it looks like somebody tried to make the samurai a little bit more Japanese. Mm. Yeah. And I said, well, the big clue is Hatanaka. Greg <laughs> is Japanese, and I think he wanted to try to bring back a little bit more. Because this movie's not popular in Japan, obviously. Maybe they feel it's <laughs> disgraceful. But he really tried to want to make it a little bit more of a her- hero and a super. It became a comic book more uh, the way it was shot. you know. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think both of them wanting to finish and make good movies and obviously lack of money is, is a parallel there. Uh, do, you, do you think Greg's going to make uh, another movie anytime soon? And or are you, will you work with Greg again on a, on a different project? Maybe I, I would love to. Like I said, he didn't get a fair shake on this. He didn't just direct it. He ended up having to be, you know, like the babysitter, the dad, the caterer, the blah, blah. So I think, Greg, I think Greg would be great <laughs> at directing music videos um, but and also movies. But I just think, again, you have to write a script, lock it, agree that's what you want to do, and then take a line producer and come in and break it down to cost and then pad it with a little extra. Anybody that's watched Project Greenlight, I mean, that's what you need to do to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And you could do it for 300000 or five or whatever. You just have to make sure what you have on the page can be made with the dollars you have in the bank. And if you don't, you're fucked, period, from day one. You're, and that's where Greg found out on a big scale because he'd, he'd made Blue Dream was one of his movies and a couple others, and he just had fun making little movies. This became way too big of a, even though it's super low budget and completely off the radar of Hollywood, it's still for the audience base out there and, and the desire and the grand scope of what he wanted to do. He could not afford it and realize that. Partly because of funding, like we talked about, that got yanked out, which really made a big difference. Uh, and then, you know, just wanting to continue. But I think Greg would be, and I would work with him again. He doesn't want to be involved as a um, director in three. I think he would rather just be an executive producer. I don't think he wants to be. And that budget's probably only going to be, like I said, a million and a half, two million. And there's a bunch of people that have these great ideas of where they want to do it. That was part of the reason I went to Spain and, 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 and that could happen, but I keep saying, wait a minute, let's just make sure <laughs> two's out. Maybe they don't need a three. So let's just <laughs> slow down a little bit here. And I'm in no hurry. I'm, you know, I live my life. I have a whole other way I, I earn a living. So I'm not looking to jump the shark, so to speak. Um, <laughs> hey, we'll watch know, it. And, and just do yeah, some <laughs> shitty third movie. If we do do it, I just said, it really has to be done right. And then that's where Greg says, if we do it right and it is a good movie, you might alienate that entire Samurai Cop fan base because they don't want to see a good movie. Maybe they want to see more nonsense. But I said, yeah, I think there's a fine line of doing a good movie <laughs> and, you know, also appeasing the fan. Like you guys had great ideas, you know, and that's why I almost want to have this Project Greenlight uh, project out there. OK, Samurai Cop 3, everybody throw out your ideas <laughs> and we'll see who comes up with what because we can get oh the financing God. now because – it is a tangible franchise, and there are people that are that have taken notice of it, especially here in L.A. when we screened it here. There's a lot of mainstream, just like Seth Rogen and James Franco fell in love with The Room. We have some other people that are at that level. Now, you know, that's great if we can make that happen. I didn't realize until I went to Spain and had dinner. I was invited to a private dinner by Enrique Lopez Levine. He said, you know, I found out about this movie. I was having lunch with a friend in Hollywood, and he says, oh, my God, you have to see this movie, Samurai Cop. It's <laughs> fucking great. It's so bad. It is awesome. And the guy was Quentin Tarantino. Oh, so oh man. That's, that's awesome. a major. I had heard rumors about that, but I never knew until Enrique told me. And now you think, wow, interesting mix there. Quentin loves 
35 millimeter. He loves those grindhouse movies. He grew up kind of like we in the video stores in the 80s. So can you imagine for me, even me as Matthew Caritas as an actor, if Quentin's like, oh, my God, I have this small, tiny, itty-bitty, stupid part in one of my movies. Would you like to do it? You never know <laughs> where things could lead. So that's why I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Now, whether not Quentin's not going to say, hey, I'll direct number three. Let me do <laughs> that's where I was hoping this was going. <laughs> you can imagine if that happened, holy shit, what that would be. So, yeah, I mean – it would be a big budget and it would be crazy nonsense and you wouldn't even had to see the first two. But you know what I mean? I'm just saying it's just weird. The people that have found out about this and wanted to be involved and said, oh, I think you should do it right. It looks like you guys, again, were hindered by money and you just threw something out. But really, I wonder what you could come up with if we really did, you know, what Amir was trying to do with the first one, a good action movie. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. I'm 52. Mark's, you know, getting long in his tooth, too, you know. <laughs> But and I don't know if the fans really want to see it. I said it would have to be more, like I said, back to a buddy cop, the original and then make it fun, really make it fun. When you watch these movies back to back, like I did in Spain, you like you guys even commented, it, it's it's two different worlds. It's hard to watch both of them side by side because you're coming off a comedic high from the first and then you're into, what's this? You know what I mean? But if you saw the second one without seeing the first one, you may have a different, you know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah. it's tough, like you guys said, watching them together. Yeah, what, what I find is actually kind of fascinating is that each one of these movies is just like snowballing into a bigger thing and that this might actually, like, the, like you said, the next one might have like a big budget. Like that would be awesome that it came this far and that it's right, continuing yeah. to come full circle that's why i said fine i think if we end it in a trilogy but if if we did it it really has to be done that would be the hook people saying okay so-and-so is involved or oh okay now it, you know it'll be worth it otherwise you know you're just kind of i don't know i haven't seen any of these other troll twos and the uh, <laughs> deadliest prey and Oh, we've and, seen uh, them all. <laughs> you know what I mean? All the troll and all those movies. And first of all, who said that Mike Danton's body was better than mine? <laughs> oh. How dare you? Yeah. It was Eric. <laughs> it was no, Eric. In fairness, lying. when we covered but, Deadly's uh, Prey, yeah, I so said yours was you, much better. If you were going to do it, that's why I say me being Matthew Caritas, Mr. Perfectionist and everything, I, I said I'm not going to do it again unless it's really going to be good. But yeah, I think if you went out with a bang and a trilogy, sure, that would be – Yeah the way to do it but let's just get <laughs> through also in fairness we, we commented on how awesome both your bots were i'm just gonna throw it out there <laughs> no i laugh because people even said you know i'm because i think i weighed maybe 230 235 back then when i filmed that and then i was probably 180 i don't know some wafy but i never did steroids <laughs> or hgh which of course a lot of our celebrity action stars nowadays do oh, yeah. uh and what happens as you get older you'll lose muscle mass i've always worked out for 31 years so i've stayed very lean but i just thought it's not important for me to be big and gigantic again you know but um <laughs> So, yeah, and then, you know, looking back again on that day when we filmed in the pool and Amir's like, you need to bring a bikini to match. And I'm like, what? Because, <laughs> no, I think because her bikini is very revealing. Come on, Matt. There's female uh, viewers we'll have. And I'm thinking, all right, hey, I'm, I'm Mr. Body. And I'm like, what a fucking tool. I'm mean, like, singing in the bikini and happy birthday. And That's awesome. I cringed, I cringed like everybody else on those days of – and that's that love scene that we did in the bedroom with Janice and I, 
what people don't know, Amir's right at the foot of the bed, just straight looking up at Janice. He was really – he loved the nude scenes in his movies and he was just right there whispering off camera. And kiss her. <laughs> and so we're doing it, but I'm like, this poor girl. And I was so protective of the girls, uh, you know, because they're the ones naked. And I'm just like, this is so bad. There's people just standing around. And But she was such a trooper. But even Melissa, like somebody said, with the dimple nipples or whatever. They, uh-huh. I mean, I knew her from, uh, I met her during, when I worked with Sly, she came in an audition. But I just felt bad. And she just was like, oh, it's okay. I go, I argued. Why am I having a love scene with this girl? I'm supposed to be after this one. And now I'm in the bed with her and flirting on the helicopter. Hey, keep it warm. I go, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Oh like, my you will God. do as I say. This is my film and I'm marketing, you know, action and sex and nudity. I go, I know, but it's like a softcore porn. This is where underwear dry humping. It's stupid. And that's why in that scene, you see me giving him nothing i was so fucking angry <laughs> just sitting there and i'm just looking at her like okay hopefully this is shit and he won't use it but yeah he used it. so i look like a fucking idiot but yeah. believe me every day we're just arguing going this is stupid how is he talking to her in the helicopter he can't even hear me. <laughs> say the line. just look up and say the line i go she can't hear me she's in the helicopter <laughs> he's in the back seat of the car matt say shoot okay shoot <laughs> shoot him Say it again. Shoot. I'm thinking maybe he's going to use it in another time of the movie. No, all five, seven in a row. Shoot, shoot. shoot. You know, I mean, it's just craziness that we were dealing with. But it was fun. But as a kid, you know, 23 years old trying to get his first movie done, I'm just doing what he said. And, and, you know, in the end, I learned, you know, sometimes you got to, I don't know. I I still wouldn't take it back. They've asked me, would you do it again? It's like, of course I would. I mean, I tried to pull some scenes that were good, but. It's just uh, – there was nothing. To, my acting was shit. I'm not blaming any of this on Amir. I mean the the, the, the words he wrote, but I fucking spoke them. Like an idiot. I mean just like a machine. It was like – because he was so adamant. We only got one take. So I was more focused on uh, reciting the dialogue rather than being in the moment. You know, like an actor. Again, I'm being inside the actor's studio. But that's clearly what I was doing. And what Samurai Cop should have been for me was that – apprentice film where you learn uh oh that sucks that was bad let me get better next time but to have that be my legacy you're kind of (laughs) fucked because that's the only thing people knew you about so that's why in two i thought okay this will be a great opportunity for mark and i to redeem ourselves and i thought mark did an amazing job he is really a good actor um but i got stuck with greg saying now Matt, I want you to um, make the crazy eyes like you did that first. I go, I don't want to do that. That was shit acting. That's not, that wasn't a mirror. That was me being a shitty actor with crazy eyes. And make the growling teeth, show your teeth. And I go, I don't want to. So I had to pull back with the ego and give Greg, the director, I understand this is his movie, his vision. So I tried to pepper in some good acting when I could, which I think is good acting, compared to doing all the crazy nonsensical stuff that Joe – you know, he kept saying, well, Joe, I said, there was no Joe. It was Matt Hannon, the bad actor. <laughs> Amir gave me no character background. He said, the guy's from San Diego. Action. That was <laughs> Anything that you see, it's me being me. Of course, the only thing Amir always told me was um, he would always say because he couldn't afford um, body mics after like the third day shooting. So he had boom mics. And the problem is. 
if uh, if you and I are really close and I'm whispering to you, this is how I would speak with a body mic. But since Amir doesn't have it, he said, Matt, I need you to yell. I can't hear you. So if I start yelling at you like this, it's so overmodulated and sounds like shitty acting, even though it was shitty acting. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So I, and he's like, talk lower, like sly, talk deep. Talk. And I'm like, I don't talk like that. That's Mark Frazier. He's got a low resin boy so you know what i mean it's a combination of amir wanting you to do something me knowing i'm i'm completely out of my range as an actor if you take your two fingers thumb and forefinger spread them up just a little bit that's my range as an actor <laughs> even today i get that and i know people out there that have made millions of dollars making movies with a very i don't think i'm leonardo dicaprio but i really consider myself a reality um personality because of the cult world but Chuck Norris made a fortune doing what he did, and he has <laughs> Chuck Norris was Chuck Norris. He wasn't, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, no, so I get <laughs> where I can and what I can can't do. So it was just, you know, that constant thing that I dealt with with Greg was let me try to do something a little different, or a little better, or not so much in that. But you know, you get stuck with what the fans wanted to see. So I don't know if that worked. I think they see sometimes, but then it becomes all over the place. You see me doing all kind nothing's in care it was i really wanted joe to be according to greg more rambo-ish when when you find him he is very upset he lost the girl he loved and he's not going to show a lot of emotion and then two scenes later i'm laughing and giggling and i just said this is not the beats and the notes that i would want to hit as a you know actor 25 years later showing better work so that's the ego you got to put aside and just kind of do what they want to do. So, yeah, uh, hopefully someday I could do something that's, <laughs> you know, in, in continuity from beginning to end and really some character-based piece. But, again, that's asking for, you know, you just got to be thankful for whatever you got. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so you just got back from, uh, you know, touring Europe with this movie in, uh, for the last two weeks, right? Yes. Um, so... What was the general reaction? I'm, I'm assuming it was a lot of a lot of positive reactions. Was was there anyone out there who who approached you with with you know the antithesis of that, or you know have you had to deal with any of, of that from anyone in person? Because of this? No, everybody's just really. It's it's funny to me because uh, everywhere I went, especially in Madrid, um, there's a huge pocket over there of fans and. They, um, I, it's just odd. I, again, it's something hard for me to grasp. They, they, a lot of people come up like it's like they're seeing Elvis or it, again, <laughs> some of them thought I was dead when they first screened that movie two years ago. And then when they all find out I was alive. So to them, it's surreal. They meet me in person. I'm, I'm much taller than they thought, or yeah. you know what I mean? And it's, to me, that's odd. Cause I'm just Matthew Caritas, the average blue collar guy out here working that did a crazy movie. But in that world out there, you know, I, I get it. I worked for Stallone. I grew up watching his movies and all of a sudden I moved to Hollywood and then I'm, I'm working for him as a bodyguard. So I remember the first time that they said, oh, Sly's on his way in. And I go, oh, my God, this is, I'm going to meet the guy. So I get that. But it's just odd for me to be doing that, even if this low, super low, horrible actor. You know, I don't think in any way, shape or form I'm an alien. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's odd for these girls to come up and guy and they're just like, oh, my God, it's and they're shaking or they they want to take a picture. And it's like, no, really, I'm just the average guy. Chill out. So that was <laughs> interesting to see. But even they're over there in Spain, they caught wind. And, and on the local news, they made comment about the film festival. And then once they added the tagline, ex Stallone bodyguard, it went national. In all of <laughs> 
But the headline was, and of course everything's in Spanish, and I asked somebody to translate it, says, ex Stallone bodyguard here for film festival, worst action movie actor ever. And that was the title, so I'm laughing like, yes, that, that's true. <laughs> no the way. Attention and everybody on the streets, it was the Stallone thing, you know what I mean? Because it, it's, it, it's that name... You know what I mean? It makes everybody, oh, wait, who's this? What's this? Yeah. Mm. Other than that, if they saw the movie or why it was there, they'd be like, holy shit, what a horrible man. You know what I mean? So <laughs> walking down the streets, I had a lot of people that just recognized from local media because I had news coverage and their version of Entertainment Tonight following me around. And I had a Paris documentary crew following me around. And oh, they had me in the middle um, of Madrid, what is equivalent to our Times Square. And they had me with the sword. And this is I didn't want to do. Here I am to show <laughs> <laughs> pull it out and start waving it around and there's cops there that don't know who I am and they probably think I'm some nut, you know, it's like, what the fuck? So it was just surreal for me to be there. But again, I love the, the country. They were very welcoming. The screening that we saw, Samurai Cop first and then the second one, I've never been with an audience that had more fun. They yell at the scream, they shout things constantly. Uh, when the lion head comes up, they stand up and cheer. And yeah. so again, that's why... The movie is so fun for me. Again, it wasn't supposed to be that. I get it. But I don't care. Whatever fun and if, if I could be involved in something that brings that much joy, and, I get it now. And I'm, I'm happy to embrace it. I know completely I'm an idiot in it. I get it. But it's still, everybody's having fun with it. I mean, it's a different point of view than another person I mentioned earlier that had a room out there. <laughs> um, so that was fun. And then UK also, when we went over there and the fan base there. So it's just, I just didn't realize that there's that many fans out there that that just love this kind of movie. And, and, uh, like I said, it's, I'm just really lucky to be a, a part of it. And I just, I welcome all of it. And like, I, I never would have dreamed I'd be traveling the world because of that ridiculous movie <laughs> and the wig I wore and all that crap. All these years later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And they all have the same thing. They, they want to know, you know, what was with the wig and, you know, why did you have that on and how did that come about? And, like I said, if I, I took you to the time frame, and it was just one of those things where Amir had to finish the film. That's another parallel like Greg. He called me back in in January, and apparently he had so much footage. You see how much I'm wearing a wig. I mean, it's like, really? You had that much left to film? What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, and inserts where it's me for two seconds, and the close-up is the wig or the fight scenes. And it's like... And I felt bad when he was so upset that I cut my hair. But I'm like, dude, we finished three months ago. You told me we were done. But, uh, you know, that's the tenacity. Amir had to finish. He had to get it out there. And so I, I'm sure he was upset about it. Uh, probably embarrassed. I've had dinner with his son since. And he said, Matt, believe me, my dad would just love all this. He would. Like, Are you sure? I mean, people make fun of the movie. And he goes, Matt, he spent $30,000 making Samurai Cop. He's probably made over 300000 throughout the years selling it. I guess he sold it in territories back then in the eighties and nineties and he made a good chunk of money and that's what he did, even with his movies before Samurai Cop. So but I said, I don't know. I, I think people being Iranian and they have a certain life and uh, the way that they treat the women in the movies and the and the race, you know, we see that in Amir's movies. Oh yeah. And we'll see it probably more prevalent when Greg releases the rest of these. But I know that um, you know, Brittany made the same comment. Oh my God, every woman's either <laughs> naked or you know, and that was just Amir's style. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. And of course, the second one that played in Spain, 
you see me, uh, like you guys said, I think Joe shouldn't have been, uh, all the villains are women. So he's fighting and punching and kicking and killing <laughs> women. And I was like, I mean, I didn't want to do like the first movie. Like you said, it's kind of gr- gross, like at Roger Moore and whatever your comparison was. <laughs> Who wants to have sex with this old fucking guy now? Or how is he so charming and sexually enticing? But I just thought, no, he should have been more of a flirt. I mean, that was what was funny. Yeah. But it wasn't supposed to be funny. That was Amir thinking this was the cool, suave cop and he's hitting on everybody. Yeah. But they didn't like the violence. You know, when he's hitting, they were yelling out, a man doesn't hit a woman, you know, in Spanish. Because <laughs> I'd say, what did they say? And he'd go, oh, they said a man shouldn't hit a woman. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> this is not good. But, you know, and that's why I said it just takes on a different they – were, they were into the fun-loving Joe Marshall fun guy. You know, we sold every copy of Samurai Cop, but none of the two – I don't think anybody wanted the – because they didn't get it and they just loved the first one. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's just the way it, it played out over there. Just a real you know, fun embracing. And I went to a lot of places because I, I love architectural history. So it was nice to see all that stuff over there. You know, USA oh, yeah. is such a new country over there. I mean, centuries old, the queen stuff and all the, the pageantry and the buildings, the brick and the iron. Just It's just amazing architecture over there. So it was a blast to, to travel there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um so, I mean, I know you guys had said uh, this, too, that you were kind of on the same page as us, but I hope our, our reviews of your movie weren't too over the top. <laughs> no, I, I think they're dead on like, yeah, everybody else. But I just thought, oh, maybe sometimes I should clarify, you know, like I said, the, the cinematographer in our movie, there was and, and that, this again, I defer. Hopefully the documentary picks up on it. Chris Felusi, who was the cinematographer, I guess halfway through, Greg never realized it. He was purposely trying to shoot things poorly. Because oh. he thought, oh, that's what the first one was about. And it's like, no, we, we don't want to. Greg found out about this later when he would develop and look at footage and go, this is fucking way overexposed. <laughs> what? what? Oh, well, that's because we wanted it to be. And he's like, no, we didn't. So there was that lack of communication. That oh, went on. wow. OK. Uh. Um, the lion heads that we placed places, um, <laughs> you know, once was funny. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught all of the places that the lion head really showed up. Yeah, we were, we were mean, picking them out as best we could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the bar scene when I'm talking to the bartender and he's talking to me and I'm not listening to him, it was there. And then it was in Tommy. Any scene Tommy's yep. in, it's there. In the fight scene, when I first walk in, he's like, hi, Joe. And <laughs> his little den. It's in his little place when he's doing his harikari killing some guy. It's there in the background. Obviously, the funny shot was Caden with it directly behind her in that <laughs> shot. But even that shot, I guess he overexposed it or shot it so poorly, Greg couldn't even color balance. You know what I mean? So mm. things like that, oh, wow. where when Greg first started getting into editing, he just realized, wow, this is so messed up. And that's where he started losing uh oh, this isn't going to be what I thought. But you know, like I said, you just keep going with it, and it is what it is. But no, you guys' reviews are funny; they're dead on. That's why I just said, when so many people are wondering why, what's what, I just thought it's so great to just be able to go down a Q and A and answer and just say, no, that was because of this. If they wanted to know, or maybe it's better not to say anything. I don't know. Oh no, I think it makes everything ten times more interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. I, or yeah, maybe maybe even worse. Like the chain dangling in the cave scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When Mark comes up, that's Mark improvising. That wasn't written. And I'm just like, we were just cracking up going with Mark. Because we go, okay, Mark, you're kind of looking. You're looking for me. And so action. And then Mark comes up on the train. What the hell is this? Busting up. Like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. But that's kind of stuff, like I said, the magic that's a funny thing that's that just happens to happen, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have, there's so many things that went on in that movie. <laughs> but you guys caught most of them. Like I said, the interuniversal treaty, I said. 
no one's going to get that, Greg. Why are we even leaving that in? He goes, oh, I don't know. I guess we just have to leave it. And it's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just funny. But the, like you said, the music supervisor, there was no music supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we, we truly do admire these movies actually so much so that we want to do a 24 hour viewing of the Samurai Cop just and for, for charity, of course, you know, just just like, you know, we're going to we're going to just watch this for 24 hours straight and uh, and hopefully get, you know, some people in to watch it with us. It'd be so awesome is if we do organize this at that you were you would watch it with us. But that's so hard. Then I think you'd see it like I've always watched it. Because I've always thought the movie was boring. Even when Amir gave me the only copy that I thought was ever out there, <laughs> I would watch it and go, this is so boring. It's just so dragging. It's just horrible. <laughs> Besides the horrible acting, it's just too long and it doesn't make sense. And like Greg did, you know, you guys asked uh, with the threesomes and all the nudity that we had in our movie, especially the way it opens. I was like, oh my God, I screened this in Portland, my hometown. My mom came and I'm like, how am I going to explain dry humping within the first scene? So I told mom, I, listen, and I guess Greg said the reason he did that was because Amir, every 20 minutes in his movies would cut to this random sex scene. So that's why Greg did what he did with ours, with Biling and the threesome or, you know, so you know, I, I guess that's, again, Greg to talk about, but... I just was like, this. I, I wish there was not this sex in it. I wish it would have been PG. We could have hit a different audience. But like you said, anybody under the age of 25 would not even get this shit. It has to be somebody that's a connoisseur of shitty movies that are so crazy that you just, you know, pick them apart and go through them. And that's that's what I think is fun because that's what you guys do and everybody does. Everyone loves to be able to just comment on stuff that's just ridiculous. And it's funny because everybody's dead on. And that's why this – movies that are so bad you know they're great is is uh, a little clique of people that just love this stuff yeah i think it's all the things that happen unintentionally in these movies that make them so great right and then that's why like you guys said i hope they didn't do that on purpose because it's not funny and it's like no that was really an accident <laughs> but you can't you can't explain that to be you know what i mean after the fact because you don't want the cheap laughter or the token but i just said i'd rather be honest and say no, we really didn't plan on any of this. I mean, it was just that's what we came up with, like the green screen. I mean, literally that day, we just kept parading people in. Oh, here's Jimmy. Well, what's he going to do? Um, how about you and Mark are at the shooting range? And, and uh, you know, so then there's that green screen. And it's clearly a green screen. And I'm like, Greg, why the fuck? He goes, well, I guess we didn't shoot it right. Or, you know, so it was just trial and error you know last minute well let's just get everybody in here that has paid to be in a scene with you that fight scene with the girl i'm just like it just it's so random <laughs> why are we and he just threw it in and threw some music and you know even all that psychedelic shit in the um in the complex with the willy wonka fucking coloring <laughs> behind me when i come out of this pod or whatever <laughs> It's just him. That's the best. That's what I could come up with. The big giant fish tank. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But, you know, that's the, he had several choices to pick and that was it. And I just thought, oh my God, I don't know. But I mean, it is hopefully, like I said, let's hope the documentary, I'll check back with you guys once I see it and say, no, this will be good. You guys got to see this. I'd love him to give it out there for free too. I'd like, don't even charge people. Just get it out there for free on download so that you can at least try to figure out. And then maybe the movie will have a different type of uh, viewing because people can see both after they've watched the documentary out of them oh we're definitely gonna watch the documentary <laughs> yeah i know i just I, like i said it's 310 hours i really hope they capture wow. a lot of stuff i mean because i wasn't there a lot i mean every day or most of the time 
I was off. I would come to the set and I'd meet with the stunt coordinators and the fight trainers. We did have them on this movie and they were serious and they really did work. And we had some awesome choreographed fight scenes and uh, we would I would get to set and they'd say, OK, Matt, come here. You got to learn 32 moves and you got about five, tw- well, maybe 20 minutes. <laughs> like, Holy shit. I go, I haven't even slept. And I mean, that's where my athleticism comes into play because I couldn't remember lines because I don't know my age or I was just so fucking tired. <laughs> but so we would learn and we would rehearse and blah, blah, blah. And then we would get over. And by the time they lit everything and it was time to shoot, it's like, oh, we can't. We can't. We don't have time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so really good fight scenes. Even the Bai Ling scene that I did with her in the end was a little bit more elaborate. And there was more samurai stuff. Because like you guys said, I'm not a martial artist at all, period. I told Amir that. <laughs> I go, you know, I don't have any martial arts training. I go, I'm a bodyguard and we've learned kind of like what MMA is today. We have certain techniques that we know. I know a little bit of jujitsu and I know some, you know, Aikido and some grappling because we're basically there just to incapacitate attackers. We're not there to be a, an artistic form. <laughs> Gerald Akamura is the one that, you know, choreographed everything in the first Samurai Cop. And I just would tell Amir, I look like a fucking idiot. I don't, I can't do what he's doing. Just try to wave your hands around. You know, so that's why I'm doing the Elvis Presley or the rock and roll hand. Because I'm just goofing around, but it was just shit. But so this guy's, these guys work with us. And there was really so many wonderful fight scenes that were, like you guys said, some of the stunt team that you see do the fighting, they're good. And anything oh, yeah. to do with oh, me, yeah. I do nothing that has anything to do with martial arts. I punch <laughs> and kick. That's all I do. I'm a street fighter. And Greg said, well, in the first part of the movie, I don't want you to do anything that's aggressive. You're only going to do defensive because you forsworn violence. So I'm like, okay, I get that. But when I do start fighting, it's so brutal. I'm stabbing chicks and coming <laughs> with fucking ninja stars. and It's like, this is so brutal. And he goes, well, I'm going to show the progression of how you fought it off. And then eventually, and that's where that whole goddamn samurai costume sequence came up. Because I remember showing up to the set on that day going, what in the hell? We were in front of a giant green screen. That was the other day. And there's two naked, completely butt naked oh, yeah. porn girls standing there. Tom noticed. Oh, yeah. And it took uh, three hours to get that costume on me because it was 62 pieces and no one knew how to put it on. Oh, oh my God. God. And I'm standing there frustrated. We're going over past the time that we were supposed to be. Greg's hurrying me along and he's like, okay, in this scene, you're, you're yelling at yourself. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, because that the samurai is representing what you are becoming and you don't want to become that guy you want to stay joe marshall peace man and i'm like all right whatever (laughs) so again i'm just like okay whatever i'll go with it i am not you (laughs) (laughs) so you know i'm just getting thrown out into all these scenarios and that's another parallel with you know amir i'm doing shit like i don't think i ever would agree to this if i would have known but you know, again, they really did try hard, the stunt team and, and, the, and the fighting. We just weren't able to to show any of it again. Was there anything from the original script that you were bummed that got cut that you were really looking forward to getting done? Uh, the opening sequence, I guess it was from a movie, uh, an old Japanese movie called The Bodyguard. And it was a pretty cool opening sequence. Um, I'm in this field. You just see the back of me, so you don't really see me. Um, and that's when I got hit with... Uh, a poison dart in the original script by it was a hooded figure and that's supposed to be Caden's character but you can't see it's her you see some wavy blonde hair coming out of the so I get hit with that and that's what's supposed to start the hallucinogenic trip or whatever 
but it was really it was supposed to open really cool and would have been a nice opening. Instead, he chose the reveal. I like the way the movie opened with Mark and I in the flashback <laughs> picking up and we went and bought some wardrobe that looked kind of close to what we wore in the 90s. But if you watch it again, I love the dude that was standing there watching. I call him Shadow Man. <laughs> if you watch the opening, there's a dude whose shadow is sitting on the wall like a Hitchcock silhouette. <laughs> and it's just hilarious to see all this stuff that, you know, again, we didn't realize it until after it was all done. But the, the movie opens fine. The, the scream, oh, fuck that scene. Um, originally, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the park with Caden. Um, she's supposed to pull up in a car when Mark and I are talking and she walks up. He goes, oh, we can't really get a car this close to the police station. I'm like, oh, fuck. So here we are improvising. Okay, you just walk up to him, Caden, and then you guys talk. Then the next shot we did, that was the very first day of shooting, was that scene. Then we went to Balboa Park, and we were supposed to be walking along in the park. And um, I can't remember what happened. Mark's there, and she's away from me, and then the guy comes up and shoots her. But anyway, he, he changed it to, all right, just sit on the bench. And this other kid's a Kickstarter kid. <laughs> he's going to come up, and he's going to shoot her. And he goes, I want to do two shots here. Now, the original script had me... Same thing. She got shot. It was a different way, and I held her more, and I was going to try to do more. <laughs> of course, this is me being a bold actor. You know, kind of <laughs> like the scene in, um, oh, what's the movie with Brad Pitt um, where he was with the long hair and Anthony Hopkins uh, and Aiden Quinn. Oh, uh, Legends of the Fall. Movie. Anyway, <laughs> he, there's a scene where his wife gets shot in her little carriage and he cries and whatever. So I thought, oh, this would be a good thing. Let me show some emotion here. But no, that doesn't happen. And he says, all right, just sit on the bench. She gets shot. What I want you to do is scream. And then when you scream, kind of cross your eyes and look up and I'll hold it. And it'll be like a no. you know. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I guess. But I go, that's not what I was wanting to do. <laughs> so we, the sun's going down. We got two takes at it. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Once again, there's no playback video village on this fucking budget. So if, had I gone and looked at that playback, I would have went, oh, hell fucking no. I'm not <laughs> Let's do this again. So we only had two takes. One was my eyes crossed and one they didn't. So he kept saying, let's leave the cross-eyed one in. And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter what you want to do. It's the most fucking white teeth, dumb, idiot fucking shot. So anyway, but for the sake of the movie, you know, I, of course, I was like, I don't even want that shot in the movie. But I'm thinking, wait a minute, if, if, for the fans, I got to do the. It has to be there because it's just me looking like a fucking idiot like I did in the first one. So. But, you know, those th those scenes, there's a lot that I guess that uh, more stuff with Mark and I that just kind of got cut out. But um, I don't know. Like I said, I wish he would show the original script. I'm still looking to see if I have that one. It's not it's a little different. And I think people might have I don't know. I think you guys would have liked that version, but it's up to him whether or not he's going to put it out. I'd love to read it someday. Yeah, definitely <laughs> keep my eyes open for that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just for the novelty of it, just like yeah. I said, with the behind the scenes, it's kind of cool just to see it without any. You know, uh, obviously, I know, Greg, there's commerce involved in show business. I get it. And there's time being spent. And he's like, well, why shouldn't I get a buck or two? You know, I get that because he's trying to recoup whatever he spent on this fucking movie. It's slowly trickling in. Like I said, he's made money. He's got it in all the Walmarts across uh, yeah. the country. And it's at Best Buy. And But, you know, and it's on Amazon. But, you know, it starts out at 19. Now it's down to 10. Now it's down to 4. You know, it's like, when do we just stop the pricing and just... <laughs> 
And that's why I've been at, even when I go places and they're like I, uh, these conventions where people sign and charge for autographs. I just cannot believe that that is even taking place. William Shatner is charging 20 bucks to get an autograph or a picture. It just fucking sickens me. I'm like, anybody that comes to me and wants my dumbass signature on something, it's free. <laughs> I mean, I cannot believe people, and I will never do that. I can't believe. I'm just thankful that anybody even has seen the movie and is even acknowledging that, hey, you know, you brought some fun into my life because of this movie. That's enough for me. But I understand there's a business and Greg's, you know, obviously a distributor. And so that's what's tough. But I just wish that that wasn't it. But that is what the business is. Everybody's trying to at least do something. No one's making movies for free. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it was just Mark and I having fun again together. And it was I, I really did it for the fans because I thought, yeah, they'll think it's fun. Mark and I kind of still look the same. And that's kind of fun. And let's see where we would be 25 years later. But it's Greg Hatanaka's vision. And like I said, if we do a third, a trilogy, then we really got to go out with a bang and make it worth everybody's time. I don't know if any of these other movies like Troll or them, do they all do the same thing? Sequels and then they were shit or um, did I, some of them do a good job? I think uh, <laughs> I think Troll I is its, its own animal uh, of, of a picture. But uh, I know and, and with Deadly Prey, they went and made a Deadliest Prey sequel and they, they just stuck Which to Which is form. basically just Deadly Prey. Yeah. Like modern. But was it the same the director at least? Or yes. they did. Or mirror? So I wondered if that mattered that we changed, you know, because this is a fan, basically, Greg, and what he thought would be cool to be a sequel in his mind. But these other movies I've heard, oh, every time you try to make a sequel to something that's lightning in a bottle, you just really fall short. Yeah, it's, it's and some tough. of the reviews of like, well, you know, the movie sucks, but I don't know how you did it, but you kind of created something we never also thought would be you <laughs> oh, might have yeah. done it again in another shitty way. So it's like, I don't know if that's a compliment to Greg or not, but. Uh, well, yeah, I'd say so. Definitely. It's just, it's mixed reactions. Like I said, some people were kind of on where I was like, ah, that's not really where I was thinking, but it's okay. But I'm too close to it. So I, I, I really can't always make my comments or <laughs> too jaded. Have you uh, ever considered making your own picture? Oh, you mean movie? Yeah. I, I mean, everyone asked me and then they said, oh, you know, cause I've done so many interviews. They said, it seems like, and I did write a lot of the stuff to bandage the movie here. I like to do that. I mean, even with my own stand-up comedy, the difference is I write my own material. So I take full responsibility when I go up on stage, um, for 12 minutes or a half or whatever, it's mine from beginning, middle and end. I'm responsible. And if it sucks, you know, I take that. But here, when you're with somebody else, I don't know technical directing. So I couldn't say, Oh, I could direct it. But I do think that I could be a contributor and say, I do know what's funny or I do know uh, what I think works and what doesn't work. But <laughs> so I don't know if I could take that on unless I had somebody else that really knows. Like the guy in the room full of spoons, Tommy claims he directed it. And this guy is so fucking pissed. He's like, he didn't do shit. <laughs> I fucking directed this movie. And that's why I said that documentary, if you guys get a chance to see it, Rick Baker did it. It's, it's amazing. It's two hours long, but it really talks to each cast member you really hear what was going on and like you know tommy maybe did the same thing here's what i'd like to do here i don't know how to do it i don't know what lens to use but do this and that's what that guy would do hmm. so yeah I, I guess someday i would um it's no different like i said than the stand-up stuff that i've done because i can i know what works what doesn't i think and of course the audience will be the <laughs> final judge yeah, but I, uh, yeah. Eventually, like they, somebody asked me, would you, you know, direct the third one because you have such a vision? I said it depends on if I had the story, and I knew in my mind what I want, and I can convey that visually to somebody to give it to me that way. I, I don't know how, you know, 
to say, oh, I need this lens and here's what I want to yeah. do. I could say, no, I think this is a cool shot. Give me an aerial shot with a helicopter. I want to swoop in and then come up on this and zoom here. Do you know how to do that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I got it. Okay, let's do that. Then it's up to the cinematographer to make it look pretty because they're responsible for everything that you see. <laughs> you know, the director's doing the action part of it, but the, it's that cinematographer that's really important because he really makes it colors or everything you see on that frame is his responsibility. So that's something I could look in a camera and go, yep, I like that. All right, that's cool. So I don't know what a director does. <laughs> but yeah, I think the best position to be on a movie is a producer because you basically call the shots and you can override a director's, you know, but again, you don't want to be in a movie. I keep saying again, I fucking hate every time I talk. And again, but again, and again, <laughs> but you really have to um, have one, one true line uh, or direction that you're going to do something before you even get to the set. You can't have somebody thinking, oh, I want to do it this way, or now we're here. No, let's shoot it that way, and it starts fights and arguments, and you start shooting two different movies. Now, you mentioned you do you do stand-up. Do you mention anything about Samurai Cop in your stand-up at all? or? No, and I, I always have to preface and clear that up. When I worked with, with Stallone, <laughs> I met Andrew Dice Clay, and he's a, you know he's been a good friend. I used to go here to the comedy store and the Laugh Factory here in town, and I wouldn't consider myself a comedian. Comedians travel city to city and do the same shit. You know what I mean? They make a life out of it. Yeah. I would put stuff together, uh, seven minutes, 10 minutes, 12, and then go down and perform it once, and then that's <laughs> it. And then I would go come up with something else and then come back next week and do something completely different. Hmm. Now, in the genre of comics in Hollywood, they get pissed off because – First of all, if you're good and the audience likes you, that's a threat, obviously, to them. And there's so much politics going on there. Yeah. When I would go in by myself to the comedy store, the manager would say, oh, yeah, I got a spot. You can come on at 2, 2 a.m. And I'm like, I'm not going to do good material at 2 a.m. and have all you fuckers steal it and use my stuff. So I would stay away. I come in with Andrew because he'd go down there. I'd go, hey, Matt, let's go down to the comedy store. <laughs> so we walk in and it's like, oh, hey, Dice. Hey, how are you? This is my friend, Matt. Hey, Matt, can I get you something to drink? I'm like, dude, you just told me to fuck off two nights ago. Don't start kissing my ass. <laughs> so Andrew would say, all right, I'm going to go. Matt's going to go on before me and then I'll go up after. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, sure, anything you want. So I'd get up in front of the main crowd. It's, you know, eight o'clock prime time. And kill, do really good, and then introduce Dice. Of course, we have two different styles of comedy. <laughs> His is more like, suck my dick, and I'm more like, you know, Seinfeld-esque or Cosby before he became a, you know, Cosby. <laughs> uh, you know, storytelling, point of view, you know, that kind of stuff. So Samurai Cop, I had a character, and I was going to shoot a HBO comedy special called Brian Machiavelli Time Served. And what I was going to do, because I'd been away for so long, and at my age – it's very rare to see somebody come and it's like, this guy's good, but where the fuck has he been? So I said, I'm going to make this character called Brian Machiavelli. He's just paroled from prison. He's been gone for 25 years. <laughs> that'll, that'll get all that out of the way for the audience. Cause, and then I just went into whatever. I just talked about all kinds of stuff about, you know, being in prison, how I got there, funny stuff. So it, it allowed me to segue back into, and I was just getting ready to start do that. And then Samurai Cop happens. So now I'm thinking, well, this is a weird twist. Even though the most of the people out there don't know about Samurai Cop, I still could do that. So it's just one of those, do I want to go back now and, and do what I wanted to do? Because it, uh, it was going to be a pretty cool special. And my whole thought process was, I'm tired of going out and looking 
to have somebody say, hey, this guy is good or, yeah, I'd like to do this. I thought if you just do it yourself and it's done and in the can, then you can go sell it to Comedy Central or HBO or if it's as good as you think it will be. So it wasn't going to be that expensive to do. And then all that just kind of went to shit and got derailed when my 50th birthday and two uh, two weeks later I put the video up and then here we are. <laughs> oh, wow. I, really but, no, I, think, I think it's fun. I like that genre of doing that kind of stuff. But um, I wouldn't say comedian, but I say comedy performances um, – no problem. But now I think I could go city to city. And a lot of times when I do my Q&As at all these premieres, I'm obviously doing some stand-up stuff or doing crazy funny stuff, you know, talking to people. But I don't know. Now I'm just like, ah, let me go back to just being back in my cave hiding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there are no future plans to uh, to tour with Samurai Cop 2 in the United States anywhere? Maybe head to well, yeah, uh, Boston? We, we hit all the cities. It's been it's been out. And then, Greg, I think now everyone's just requesting now to do the double headers. Oh, yeah. They want to do one and two midnight screenings. But we hit every city and I traveled all over to New York. And I know I think Boston had one. In, Did it? Or what? not Boston. It was in Lowell, <laughs> Massachusetts. Oh, uh, I had some friends go, they go, oh, my God, this place is like South Central. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it not, is, but they, you know, so pretty. there was little pockets and places that it went and it played in these independent theaters. But this is the other thing about Greg. He never spent any money. He had no money to advertise. He had no money to put billboards up anywhere. So this has all been a word of mouth release, which is kind of ridiculous, but in some respects, maybe better for the world that, that not too many people know. But, but I think it would have garnered some like when we were here in LA we sold out every night for the week and we had more people in our theater for the movie than Pan did it had like two people you know what I mean in context <laughs> it's funny but it was a little niche film that everybody was it was a big buzz and everybody saw it but I think if it went you know city to city and people knew and the fan bases said hey Matt will come and he'll be here I, I don't mind doing that I love doing that if that's something that people like to do but um Again, it's up to Greg and however he wants to market the thing. But right now, everyone just keeps talking about, oh, everybody wants to do three. And I'm just like, all right, let's hold on. <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not trying to be an asshole like, oh, he's holding out. But I just said, let's really not jump the shark. I really think let's. we still don't even know everybody's opinions. You still got to listen to you guys and everybody else fans out there. And we always go to YouTube and look at anybody that's posted stuff there and, and just hear – you know what people's thoughts are but and i think it still gets a high rating on imdb i don't know how that thing works <laughs> <laughs> what movie are they watching i mean it was up to like an a2 for a while and i'm like what the this is crazy so you know i just don't know if everybody has enjoyed it as much i think most people love the first one but now if they can see both it's fine but um I don't know. Like I said, we'll just kind of see how this unravels. I just thought after I came back from the UK, that's it. That was the end of the big push because we got the European, we had the Spain premiere and then the UK. And then we've done all this stuff here in the US, every city that he took it, most of the big cities. But most people didn't know about it, you know, unless they were really following hmm. what was going on. Well, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to take up your entire night here. So. Oh yeah, listen. Once I get started, you could talk to me for four fucking hours. <laughs> what else do you need? I want to end this call where every question. <laughs> and then if anybody asks me anything, I said you just got to tune in and listen to this podcast. All your answers will be there. I direct everybody. Because well, I've done that with the eightiespicturehouse.com because I, when I first did that very first interview with them, I talked about um, my life before. Samurai Cop, the, the filming of the movie, we did one hour of 
working with Stallone and me in and out of prison, blah, blah, blah. That was a whole other story. And then the movie. So I thought, all right, let me put it out there once and that'll be it. And little did I know, I just have to tell the story all the time. (laughs) But it's a different, like I said, it's different fan bases, Red Letter Media and everybody. They all had their certain crowds. And so there's just always somebody new that hasn't heard stuff or wanted to know about it that just made it a better viewing experience. So I don't mind helping that way. All right. Well, this is going to be fun for me to say, but do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> no, nope, it out. The verbal diarrhea is over. Um, I keep saying the 15 minutes is up. I said uh, when I came back to town. All right, we're done. 15 minutes of fame over. Well, not yet. We have second no, class. But I, to I do. just want to say I appreciate you guys, everything that you had uh, you know, said. And that's why I said I just wanted to reach out. I think you guys have funny stuff. I've listened to some of your other podcasts. And I think you guys are what you guys do is awesome. I think it's fun. It's entertaining. And I think everybody that's in this, you know, genre and listening to this kind of stuff. It's, you guys have good stuff there, so. Oh, awesome. thank you so much. Yeah, we <laughs> really do appreciate that, and uh, and and you reaching out to us and uh, wanting to talk about Samurai Cop Two and and basically everything with us. Uh, can't thank you enough. No, it was my pleasure, and hopefully, uh, it, it enlightened you, and maybe now you'll go back and watch and catch something new this time. Oh, we definitely will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks a lot, and uh, I guess we'll uh, keep it warm. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the girls keep it warm, guys, bingo, yeah. <laughs> when, when, when things come up again or if anything with that, I'll, I'll keep you guys, I'll shoot you an email or something to let you know about the documentary or where some of that stuff could be seen just so you can get some more info. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. awesome. yeah. Please. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you guys so much. Really appreciate it. You bet. So thanks for listening to Second Class Cinema. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash secondclasscinema. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, secondclasscinema.com, and followingfilms.com, and follow us on Twitter and YouTube. Yes, do that. Keep it warm. And of course, thank you to Matthew Curtis again. And thank you, Matthew. (laughs) Thanks, Matt.